We've been in this series on the Holy Spirit, and we're continuing that series, but we're going to shift today, kind of shift gears, and start uh, uh, several weeks of talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we, we went more in depth into praying in the Holy Spirit, the importance of praying in tongues and praying in, in, in that spiritual language that the Lord gives us and the power of that. And I want to say, if you haven't, if you've missed any of those services or you haven't been here or you haven't been able to watch online, go online and find those messages. They're on our YouTube channel and listen to them again, or the audio is on our podcast podcast. You can get on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever and, and listen to those because we're kind of building up to something. We're kind of at, you know, if you want to really understand what I'm talking about today, you're going to need to kind of have some background on who the Holy Spirit is and what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And so if you've missed any of them, go back and listen and, and take part. And, and that's the great thing about technology is you can always get those. And there's lots of great podcasts out there. I'm going to be all over the Bible today. And so you guys can follow along. It's also on on the YouVersion Bible app, all of my notes from today, and you can follow along on there, um, or you can kind of write down notes or whatever, and, and or go back and listen to this because I'm going to be skipping around quite a bit. But I want to make sure that we're we're teaching the 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 what. Uh, the how and the why of gifts of the Spirit. So today, we're not going to talk about necessarily specific gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they operate. Instead, today, what we're going to do is look at just why do we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what are they for? Amen? And so I want to read you one quick scripture. You don't have to stand because we're going to jump around, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to go from there. Are y'all ready? Ready? Ephesians chapter 4. It is, uh, there we go. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first eight verses. This is Paul speaking, and I'm reading from the King James Version today. And it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, encourage you, that you would walk worthy of the vocation. Now, mark that word in your Bible, vocation, because we're going to come back to that. Vocation with which you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long sufferance, forbearing or being patient with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, even as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. But unto everyone, watch this, everyone, God has given us grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto Unto men. Let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help me to teach this morning and not just preach. I want us to lay a foundation, God, for what we believe and who we are as a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church. And so, God, I thank you that you are uh, you're going to use your word to form us today and mold us into who you want us to be. And that I thank you, Lord, this morning for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that we aren't powerless and that we aren't left alone, but you have given us what we need in order to fulfill the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to break down this passage of scripture, so just pull that back up again, Rachel. I want to look at this again. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, walk worthy of the vocation 
Listen, that, that's a big fancy word for mission. Work, work, walk worthy of the mission for which you were called. Did you know that if you're a believer, that you have been called to a mission? We have been, as the church, called to a mission. And if you remember back in January, we began the year with a series of, of sermons called On Mission, where I just kind of put out there, what is the mission of the church and what is the mission of our church and what is the mission of you and me as individual believers? And that mission is to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is our mission as the church. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, right? That's our mission. It's called the Great Commission. And our mission as a, as a church, as the global church, and as you as a member of the church, is to go and change your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. So Paul says, Walk worthy of the mission to which you were called. And then he goes on and he says, important thing, an important thing that you need, an essential thing you need in order to accomplish this mission is to have unity. Look at what he says here. He, he uses the word one a lot. We are in one Lord. We've got one faith. We serve one God. There is one spirit. We're part of one body. And he says to keep the unity of this spirit. Now notice he says keep the unity. He doesn't say we have to create unity. We don't have to have a meeting and make sure that we all vote the same way before we're in unity. We don't have to have a meeting and decide that we're all on the same page about what color the wall needs to be or, uh, or how tall the grass outside needs to be or what the sign needs to say out front. We don't, that's not what we're talking about with unity. We don't create unity, we preserve unity. And what is that unity? That we are called to one mission, we serve one God, and we have one spirit, amen? And so we're, we're supposed to fight to keep that unity, not create it, not create uniformity where we all have to think the same, look the same, and act the same, but we keep the unity that we're all on the same mission. And he says, so you've got a calling, you've got a mission to change the world. You need unity in order to do that. And when there is unity, the Bible says that there are gifts that God gives unto men to help us accomplish the mission. That's what he says in verse eight. Jesus ascended on high and he gave gifts unto men. Ephesians four, verse eight. Now, what's interesting about that is that Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, and he says, Jesus ascended on high and he, he took, led captivity captive. That's what the King James Version says. I love that. Listen, we are the captives of Jesus. We have been captivated by his love. We have been captivated by his mercy. We follow him into captivity, into his kingdom. And when he leads us captive, it says he's giving gifts unto men. And Paul, he's actually quoting Psalms when he says that. He's quoting Psalms 68, verse 18. Watch what it says, because you're gonna notice he actually changed a word. Psalm 68, 18 says this. You have descended on high, you have led captivity captive, and you have received gifts from men. Isn't that interesting? Well, other, Paul wrote it and he said, you gave gifts to men. 
What's happening here? This psalm is talking about a, a typical battle. When a king wins a war or a battle in the ancient days, after that victory, people would come and pay tribute to that king. And they would bring the king gifts to congratulate him for his great victory. And that's what Psalms is saying, is that God is like a king who has been victorious, and that when he's victorious, we bring gifts to pay tribute to him. But Paul flips it on its head in Ephesians chapter 4 and says, our victorious King Jesus doesn't just receive gifts from us, he gives gifts to us when he wins, when he has victory. So listen, let's put all this together. Ephesians chapter four is saying a couple of things. Number one, we believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to men. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those gifts are given to assist us in fulfilling the mission of the church and to assist us in fulfilling the mission of changing the world with the gospel of Jesus. And they are gifts that are given to us by our victorious King. He has ascended on high. That's why Jesus said, it's better for me that I could go away because when I go and I go and be with the Father, I will pray the Father that he would send you the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's saying, I need to go away so you can have the gifts that I have won for you. Amen? The gifts are given to us from our victorious King, and the gifts are not about us. Listen, the gifts of the Spirit are not about you and me and showing off how gifted we are or how spiritual we are or how wonderful we are. The gifts are about us accomplishing the mission of changing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the why of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul says he... he uh, Excuse me, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he has calls us to live and walk according to the mission we've been called to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need unity to do that. And when there's unity, the gifts of the Holy Spirit will flow freely in your church. Amen? Are we, are we clear on that? Now, I want to shift gears one more time. I want to teach you a big word. The word is cessationism. Cessationism. Anyone heard that word before? The word cessationism is a belief, a Christ, a, many Christians believe this, this term. It is the belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased. That's where you get cessation from. They ended. They died when the last apostle died and when the New Testament was completed being written. That's the belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today. They were just for the early church and they were just to affirm the church and empower the church until the church had the Bible, until the church had the New Testament. Now, it's important to understand because you will run into people who believe this. You will run into people who will ask where you go to church and what do they believe? And you'll say, well, my church, we, we do this or that. And they'll say, oh, we don't believe in that. We, we don't believe that those things are for today. And so it's important for you to understand why we believe what we believe. Cessationism did not become an, a, a widespread doctrine in Christianity until the 1500s. So for 1500 years of Christian history, it wasn't a thing. It didn't become a, a widespread doctrine that people believed in until the 1500s with John Calvin. And there's only one verse in the Bible they use to support their belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer for today. You know what that verse is? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. I want to take you there and I want to look at it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. This is the verse that you will hear people quote when they say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 says this. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they shall fail. 
Where there be tongues, they shall cease. And where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You see that word cease there? That's where they get their cessationism, that, that belief from. It, they're saying, see, look at the Bible. The Bible says tongues will cease. And we believe that tongues have ceased. That's what, that's what people will say. They'll say, see, it's right here in the Bible. Paul wrote it. He said tongues will cease. But you know what they don't do? They don't read the whole chapter. They don't read everything. Always, whenever you hear somebody quote one verse and tell you you should believe something because there's one verse, you need to be a little cautious of that. And you need to look for other verses that support it. And always read like 10 verses before that verse and 10 verses after so you make sure you get the context. What's really happening in 1 Corinthians 13? Is Paul telling the believers not to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Paul is actually in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 telling the church how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's the context of what really Paul is saying here. He says, love never fails, but prophecies they may fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will fade away or will be done away. Can I ask you a question? Is the world a perfect place? Come on, you just have to turn on the news, you know? Like, you just got to like scroll Facebook and know that the world is a perfect place. Paul isn't talking about now that tongues will cease. He's saying when that which is perfect has come. When, when God has perfected his creation again, when Jesus returns and he has established his eternal reign and his eternal kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth, we won't need to prophesy anymore because there's nothing to prophesy. It's all happened. We won't need tongues anymore because we will all be unified in perfection in one heavenly language. We won't need, we won't need healing anymore because will already be in glorified bodies and be healed. That's when he's saying the gifts will cease, when Jesus sets everything right on his earth and restores his creation to perfection. And it doesn't take long for you to look around the world and know we're not there yet. And it hasn't happened yet. And so Paul is saying right now, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit because things aren't perfect yet. So he's not saying, hey, when the Bible's done being written, things will be perfect. The Bible's been done being written for thousands of years. Things aren't perfect yet. The church has been established for thousands of years and things are, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we need help accomplishing the mission that Jesus has for his church. Listen, I want to be clear. There is no biblical basis for believing that the gifts died with the last apostle or with the completion of the New Testament. In fact, the very opposite is true. The Bible teaches the gifts of the Spirit, and he expects Christians to be used in the gifts of the Spirit so that we can have everything we need to accomplish the mission of the church. And remember, the mission is to change the world. Amen? I brought me my toolbox this morning because I wanted to give you an example of why we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are like tools that we need when we face a challenge. Now, I'm, I'm not a handyman at all. I'm, I, I, I can, you know, hang a picture if I need to, and I, 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 can, I can change a light socket out if I need to, that kind of thing. But beyond that, I can't build something. I, I'm, not, I'm just not gifted in that area. But I have a toolbox 
because every now and then something shows up, uh, something happens in our house or here at the church that needs to be fixed. And I could take my, I could have the attitude of, you know what, I can fix that on my own and I, can, I don't need tools. But how stupid would that be? That would be so ridiculous for me to say, I need to drive a nail through that piece of wood, but I'm not going to use a hammer to do it. I need to, I need to change out that light socket back there, that light switch, but I'm just going to use my fingers and my fingernails to move the screws around and pull everything out and, and cut the wires and all that kind of stuff. That would be ridiculous, right? And that's what a lot of people believe about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is we don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we can do it on our own. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like a toolbox. And I want you to understand something. If you're a Christian, you have access to the toolbox. If you're a believer, the toolbox is yours because the toolbox is, it belongs to the church. It is a gift. He just said it in Ephesians chapter four. He ascended on high so that he could give good gifts to men. And so look, when I run into a problem and I see a, a situation in my house and I see a nail that's loose and it needs to be fixed, I can reach into my toolbox and find a hammer and I can use that hammer to drive that nail. It's the same with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When I'm about doing ministry and, and serving the Lord and doing what what I need to do uh, to, to expand the kingdom and change my world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I might run into someone who uh, is sick and so they need a healing. And so what do I do? I reach into the, the Holy Spirit toolbox that Jesus has given me and I pray that the Lord would move through me in the gift of healing. And it's just like pulling a hammer. I can't heal that person on my own. We even live in a world now that we found out the doctors can't heal people the way we thought they could. They don't know what's going on in the world. They don't know how to fix the problem. But guess what? We've got a toolbox with the tools we need that can bring what is needed to fix the problem in front of us. Let's say I run into someone who is really down and they're down and out and they're facing a struggle in their life. And I, I might need to say, God, I don't know what to say to this person. Can you give me and allow the gift of encouragement to flow through me? And it's just like if I had a screw I needed to, to screw in that I would reach into my toolbox and drive a, grab a screwdriver so that I could accomplish the task in front of me. And that person who needs to hear an encouraging word from God, who needs to hear someone uh, build them up and boost them, I say, Lord, I need you to flow through me in the gift of encouragement that I can help someone uh, face another day that they're struggling with. Let's say there's something, a problem in your family that you don't know how to face and you don't know what, what, which way to turn or what decision to make. You can say, Lord, I'm reaching into my toolbox called the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I need a word of wisdom. I need a word from God to show me exactly what I need to do and show me exactly and, and tell me exactly which choice to make or which direction to go. It's just like reaching into your toolbox and how foolish would it be for a carpenter to say, I'm going to build a house but not use tools. You can do it. You can build a shelter without tools. It's not going to stand very long and it's not going to last very long and it's going to take longer to do it, but you can maybe do it. But how foolish would it be? How foolish is it for Christians to say, I'm going to go out and change the world for Jesus, but I'm going to do it in my own strength and not rely on the Holy Spirit to help me do it. Listen, you can't do it. Paul, Paul was maybe the greatest Christian to have ever lived after Jesus. And he, didn't, he couldn't do it. He needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit just like a carpenter needs his toolbox. Just like a contractor needs his power tools. Just like, just like any other craft or any other uh, task in front of you, you need tools in order to do it. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're like your toolbox. And listen, you don't have to wait. The toolbox is there for you to access at any time if you're a believer. You don't have to just say, well, I don't have that gift. 
I don't operate in that gift. No, that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to me. He gets, now, some people, you might operate in one gift more than another, and that might be true, but that doesn't mean that you can't ever be used in a gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever situation is in front of you, you stop and you say, Lord, I, I can't fix this. I can't do this on my own. I can't drive that nail with my bare hands. I can't turn that screw with my bare. I need the gift of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to help me accomplish the mission you placed in front of me. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like. They're like a toolbox. Amen. Now, the Bible gives four lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And I'm going to take you to each one of them really quick, and we're going to go fast through them. We're not going to necessarily uh, talk about every one of the gifts, but I want you to see that they're in the Bible. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at that one really quick. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to our proportion of faith, or ministry or service, other translations say, let us wait on our serving, or he that teaches, let him teach, or he that exhorts or encourages, let him exhort, and he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that rules, or leadership, other translations put, he that rules, let him do that with diligence, and he that shows mercy, let him show mercy with cheerfulness. These are spiritual gifts, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are often called the motivational gifts. These gifts often align with your personality. A lot of times these are ones that just your personality lines up with some of these gifts. Can you throw that list up there? I just want to look at it. It says there's prophecy. These are Romans 12. Service or ministry. Teaching. Encouragement. You know, some people are just great at encouraging other people. Everybody needs an encourager in their life. You need someone who can just make you feel good about yourself. And it's a spiritual gift to do that. And it's an important gift in the church to have operating in the church. So encouragement, giving or generosity. Some people, giving just comes easier to them. Some people are just, are, are just it's just natural and easy. They have a grace to be able to give. And, 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 it, and they're not necessarily even wealthy people. It doesn't mean you have a lot of money that you're a giver. But you're just, you're just, it's easier for to give of your money, your time, your possessions, your resources to people. There, some people are gifted with leadership. Some people, are, some people are gifted with the gift of mercy. You are able to show mercy and have mercy on people that other people really struggle with. You're able to see someone, no matter what they're doing or what, what um, lifestyle they're living or how they ended up in that situation, you're just able to show mercy and the love of Jesus to those people. And it comes natural to you. It comes easier to you. And these are motivational gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not just you doing this. This is the Holy Spirit empowering you to do these types of things. The service, for example. So this is someone that's not necessarily going to be on a platform speaking or presenting. There's someone that's making sure things are happening in the background and they never want a thanks for it and they never expect attention for it. They just do it. Some people are more gifted at that and they would be mortified to be up on a platform, but they've got no trouble back there cooking food or, or making sure or that things are done or taken care of and, and behind the scenes. That's a gift. And believe me, as a pastor, we need people with that gift. Amen? Now, another list of the, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the one that you're probably most familiar with, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. These are often called the power gifts. It says this, it says, For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, 
to another a gift of faith, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. These are often called the nine power gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the demonstrative ones. These are the ones where something happens. You know, it's like a, a, a moment where God shows up and he does something. He speaks through someone. He gives someone a prophetic word. He, he, someone delivers a, a, a message to the larger audience in tongues and someone interprets. And we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, we're going to go deeper into these. But these are the, the power gifts. These are the ones where you just, it's, a, it's almost a, a divine sovereign moment when God interrupts things and God does something and God says something through people. And we need to desire these gifts. These are the ones where someone's sick, you need these gifts. Where someone is hurting, you need these gifts. Where someone is depressed, you need these kinds of gifts to speak into someone's life and to speak authoritatively into it and see a miracle take place. But this isn't the only, these aren't the only gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals get this messed up sometimes, and we only talk about these, and we never talk about encouragement or service or leadership. But these are important, but they're not the only ones. Amen? Now, actually, later on in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists some more gifts. If you, this is the third list. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, the last couple of verses, verse 29, Paul says this. He says, Excuse me, verse 28. I'm sorry. Verse 28. God has set some in the church, apostles, second, prophets, thirdly, teachers, then miracles, gifts, healings, helps or service, governments or administration. Another translation puts it that way. And then diversity of tongues. And so Paul gives a couple of extra ones here that we haven't talked about yet. Apostles. That is a gift of, of someone who has been gifted by God to be sent out by God to take the gospel into new territory. That's what an apostle is. Prophets, we talked about that already. Teachers, we talked about some people are just better teachers than others. You're gifted at teaching. Helpers, that's probably the same along the same lines as service. And then administrators, that the King James says governments. Uh, not everyone who's a good administrator is necessarily a good leader. There's two different things there. Administrators are people who can kind of delegate and people who can kind of organize and get strategies together, but they're not always necessarily visionary leaders. Sometimes you need a leader. Every good leader needs a good administrator to help them accomplish the vision that they have. And so we need people with the gift of administration. We need people with the gift of leadership. And then the last list that the, that the New Testament gives us for gifts of the Holy Spirit is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is often called the ministry leadership gifts or the, the five-fold ministry. It says here, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And then verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. These are leaders in the church and their job, they are gifted in these areas and their job is to perfect or to train or mature other believers in these same gifts and to, to equip the church for the work of the ministry in the world. And so apostles, we talked about them, prophets, evangelists is a new one we haven't seen in the list yet. Some people are just more gifted at sharing the good news of Jesus with, with sinners. Some people are just better evangelists than others. You're gifted. Listen, our church, we need some evangelists in our congregation. All right? I'm saying that if you feel like, 
If you're watching and you're part of our church and you feel like I have the gift of evangelism, I want to talk to you. I, I have a burden. I have a, I have a passion for going out and sharing with people who don't believe about the goodness of Jesus. I've got, we need that in this church. We, we need somebody to get outside of these four walls and not wait for sinners to show up here, but to go out and take the good news of Jesus with them wherever they go. And when this we need some evangelists in the church. Amen. Pastors, did you know I'm your gift? Did you know that I am God's gift to you? That's what the scripture says. And I say that, but it's my job. It is. Listen, let me put it this way. I have a pastor. I have a shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. If you were reading in Luke and when uh, the angels show up to shepherds on when Jesus is born, the word there in the Greek is the word pastor. It's the exact same word. Pastor means shepherd. Every Christian needs a shepherd. Ultimately, Jesus is the good shepherd, amen? And then our earthly pastors, we're the under-shepherd. He's the shepherd, I'm the under-shepherd. And I have an under-shepherd over me. That I, and my pastor is a gift to me. He leads me, he guides me. Just like, think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he takes me to green pastures. He protects me, he fights for me. He's good to me. He, my cup runs. That's the job of a pastor is to lead you to the cool, refreshing water of the Holy Spirit, to lead you to green grass of nourishment of God's word where you can be fed and you can be, you can be nourished with God's word. That's the job of a pastor is to fight for you and protect you when the enemy comes in or wolves try to come in and, and attack the flock, is to, to uh, care for you when you're sick, to be there. That's the job of a pastor. I have a pastor who does that for me. Hopefully I'm doing that for you. That's my job. And it is a gift to the church to have pastors in the church. And then teachers, again, we talked about them already, but teachers, and even in the Greek there, it could be pastor slash teacher or pastor hyphen teacher, someone who can not only just lead you, but teach you the more, the deeper things in the scripture. Amen. So those are the lists of the, of the New Testament, the, the gifts of the spirit. All kinds of different personalities operate in these gifts of the Spirit. All kinds of different ways these gifts of the Spirit can be used in the church. Not all of them are vocal gifts where you have to stand up and say something or do something. Sometimes it's very behind the scenes. Sometimes it's something that you might not ever get credit for. But that's why in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about it's every part of the body is important. He says that it's not, it doesn't matter which, which gifts are more front lines and on stage and which gifts are behind the scenes. We need all the gifts. And he, equ he equates that to uh, the parts of the body and, and says, what if the eye wanted to be an ear? And what if the ear wanted to be a foot and all those kinds of things? You know, we need every part of the body. We need the, the whole ministry of the body to be in operation in order to accomplish the mission. And the mission is to change the world for Jesus. Amen. I want you, when you hear us talk about mission, I want that to be your number one response. What's my mission as a Christian? What's our mission as Believers Fellowship? To change our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm almost done. I just want to take you through a couple of more verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. And that's where we get those lists that we read earlier. But at the beginning of the chapter, this is the first verse. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. The implication here is that they were ignorant. Now, 
The Corinthian church in the first century, the early church, they were a very charismatic church. They had all kinds of gifts of the Holy Spirit happening. People prophesying, people speaking in tongues, uh, languages and, and, and healings and miracles. All of that was happening, yet Paul still said, it's possible for you to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and still be ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be used by the Holy Spirit, but still not really know the purpose of what's happening in the Holy Spirit in your life. So he says, I would not have you be ignorant. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now, dumb here doesn't mean stupid. It's not how we use the word dumb these days. Dumb here in the King James Version means mute unable to speak. He's saying, y'all are ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not because you're bad people or because you've messed up somewhere, but you've just never served a God that actually could talk. Your whole life, you've been serving these, these uh, idol gods, these pagan gods, that they're just statues. They're just statues in a temple that you've been worshiping and they've never spoken a word to you. You need to know what it's like to actually serve a God who really can talk to you. And so I'm going to teach you what it means to be used by God, to speak for God. And he says this, he says, I want you to know, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Here's why he said that. They were in this very charismatic church where people were prophesying all the time. Everybody had a word for somebody else and they were sharing, but they had people coming in and saying, the Holy Spirit told me to tell y'all that Jesus is cursed and that Jesus isn't Lord and that Jesus hasn't been resurrected. And Paul is saying, listen, if you hear anybody say something like that, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking through them. They're not, they're not really speaking for God. He says, that's the litmus test. You can know for sure if someone's calling Jesus cursed and they're saying Jesus isn't Lord, that ain't the Holy Ghost speaking through them. That's them. And they're trying to mess you up. And so he says, you've got to have discernment about the gifts of the Spirit and make sure you know what people are saying and what it means when they're saying it. And then look at this. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh in all. Now, there's a lot of big words in those couple of verses there. Let me break that down for you, okay? What he's saying here is that there's multiple gifts. We just looked at all those different gifts in the scripture. He says, so there's a diversity of gifts. There's a lot of different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, there's also a diversity of administration. What's that mean? It means that there's a diversity of ways in which the gifts are administered or used in the church. Let me give you a quick example of that. Sometimes we pray for someone at the front who is sick and we anoint them with oil and the elders of the church gather around them and we pray the prayer of faith and they're healed. I've seen that happen where that's a gift of healing that takes place. But I've also seen where there's a lady in the back row of the church and while the preaching of the word is going for her faith is activated to believe the truth of God's word and she's healed in the back row. Nobody prayed for her, nobody uh, anointed her with oil, nobody laid hands on her, but still a gift of healing was manifested Manifested in her life. See, that was administered in two different ways, right? Now, that, that's what it's talking about. You can administer gifts in different ways. They don't always come out the same way. And then he says, so there's a diversity, multiple gifts. There's multiple ways those gifts are administered. And then he says, there's a diversity of operations. That word operations means what that gift accomplishes what that gift really, truly accomplishes. Let's use that example again of the lady here that was healed 
She might have been healed up here at the front row while we were praying for and anointing her with oil and laying hands on her. And then there was a non-believer who watched it happen and said that really did happen. And that increases their faith to believe the resurrection of Jesus is really true. And they come to faith because they saw God do a miracle through that gift of healing, right? And so it accomplished something for that person there. Now let's take a lady in the back that got healed spontaneously during the preaching of the word. Her husband's sitting next to her, let's say, and he sees that his wife gets healed. That might encourage him to believe God for something coming down the pike next week for him. And he says, hey, if God can do that for my wife, God can do that for me. And it accomplished different things. So multiple gifts multiple ways those gifts are administered and multiple things that those gifts can accomplish. That's what he's saying there. That, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that when the Holy Spirit shows up, that he can do such amazing things, not just for that one person, but it can benefit everyone? Listen, that's the reason we need the gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit should convince people that Jesus really is alive, that Jesus really is Lord, that he really has been resurrected, that he really has all power in his hand, that he really can change the world. That's why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because it can accomplish a lot of different things, administered in different ways, serving different people, doing different things. And then he says in verse eight here, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, uh, different operations, different, uh, uh, yeah, different administrations, different operations. Verse seven, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit everyone. That means that it should benefit everybody in the room. When you, if you are operating a gift of, of prophecy or a gift of a word of knowledge or, or a gift of tongues and interpretation, the goal should be that everybody in the room benefits by what you did and what the Holy Spirit did in you in that room. So it's not about you, it's about everybody. It's about the entire body that's gathered together. Amen? Now look at this. If you go down, he says... Verse 31 of chapter 12, after he's listed the gifts, after he's talked about the importance of, of all the members of the body, he says this, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. What that means for you and for me is don't just covet the gifts that you're comfortable operating in. You'd say, I'm comfortable being a server and serving in the background, but what if God wants to use you in a different way? What if God wants to use you as an evangelist? You say, I'm comfortable being just an encourager and shaking hands at the door and encouraging people, and that's my gift of the Holy Spirit. But what if he wants to use you to speak prophetically into somebody's life, and you're the one he's called to do? So don't just covet, don't just desire the gifts that you're comfortable operating in. Covet the best gift to help in that situation. Covet the best, whatever situation or circumstance you're facing as you're going about your mission of changing your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need the best gift available. If you've got a nail to drive through a piece of wood, you don't grab the wrench, you grab the hammer. You grab the best gift to accomplish the job, right? And that's how our attitude should be. It should be, God, I want to be, it shouldn't be, God, I want to be used in this gift. It's your prayer should be, God, whatever gift you want to use me in to accomplish your mission and accomplish your purpose in this service, in this conversation, in my workplace, in my family, however you want to use me, Holy Spirit, you just use me and tell me what to do and I'll yield to you and I'll do it. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what he wants to do. Come on. That's good teaching there. Now, last thing. 
Paul, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. 12, chapter 12, Paul introduces the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want you to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what they're for. Chapter 13, Paul reminds the church. That's the love chapter. That's where you read it at weddings all the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. All that good stuff. That's really not talking about marriage and weddings in that passage. It's talking about when you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, make sure you're always doing so as an expression of love. And he go, so he, he goes through chapter 13. He says, I don't care how loud you prophesy. I don't care what you say or how many people you heal. If you haven't loved anybody, you haven't done it. You haven't really fulfilled the mission. And then after he says that in chapter 13, he gets into chapter 14 and he corrects some issues in the Corinthian church where they were misusing some of the gifts. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but he talks about how to do it decently in an order and how to give honor and respect to the Holy Spirit and not be a distraction from the Holy Spirit because you're being weird, but to be someone who's really being used by the Holy Spirit to give glory to Jesus. And he gives all these instructions about the importance of operating in a faithful, loving, orderly way in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he ends the chapter like this. He says that if you are almost the end, he says, if you do all this, if you open yourselves up to be used in the best gifts, if you do it out of a motivation of love, and if you do it properly and in order, this is the result. He says in chapter 14, verse 24, he says, if there is an unbeliever among you or one who is unlearned, he will be convinced of all and he will be convicted in his heart and thus the secrets of his heart will be revealed. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's the goal. That's the why we want to be a spirit-filled church that flows in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because when we come across someone who doesn't believe and the Holy Spirit begins to speak through us and use us to pray for the sick or, or to speak prophetically into someone's life or to encourage someone or, to, or whatever gift God uses or operates through you, the goal would be that the one who doesn't believe yet you prophesied and read that person's mail and they knew that there was no way you knew that and that had to be from the Lord and there has to be something to this and it says they will fall on their face and worship God and declare God's truly here. These people have something different than I've ever experienced before and people will get saved. Listen, if our job is to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much would it change if we had the power that we needed to go down the streets of our neighborhoods and say, I've got power that can deliver you from addiction. I've got power that can help you see your family restored and your family healed. I've got some power. It's not mine. It's just a gift that flows through me that can say, hey, I know what you've been struggling with, but God is mindful of you and he cares about you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And when it gets specific, and it gets real and it addresses real needs in a person's life, their life will be transformed. And listen, I've seen it happen where someone who didn't believe at all and they had a prophet come up to him and say, this is what you're struggling with. This is what you're dealing with. And God says this about this situation. And they say, there is no way you could have known that. I don't know how you knew that. God must have spoken to you. And they give their life to Jesus. And then that, that problem that they were facing, they see that God has the answer to how to solve it. And their life gets better because they've experienced 
experienced and encountered a believer who was truly filled with the Holy Spirit, who didn't get weird about it, but just said, you know what? I know that God wants me to do this. And I know that this might be a benefit to someone. And I'm willing to say, to put aside my dignity and my the possibility I might get it wrong and just say, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to say, God spoke to me about this. God told me to pray with you about this. And something miraculous happens and their life is changed. They will fall down on their face and worship God and say, God is truly here in this church. A couple of weeks ago, I stood in this platform and I said, listen, I want our church to be known as the place. If you're sick, this is the place to go because they know how to touch heaven and see a healing take place. If you need guidance and direction, there's some people who operate in the prophetic and they can hear from God and they can encourage you and they can point you in the right direction. If you're facing a difficult decision, that's the church you can go to and there's some people who operate in the gift of wisdom and they can speak to you and help you understand the situation you're in and help you go further. That's why. It's not because I just want to have a hopping service and I just want to have goosebumps. It's because I see a world around us that needs hope and needs healing and I can't do it on my own. I can't drive that nail through the wood with my bare hands. I need some tools. I need the Holy Spirit to empower me and equip me so that I can see my world change with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to just pray for just